Christian nationalism is a hot topic today, and it's something that Pastor Rick even mentioned in a recent sermon as a threat to the gospel. Today on this special episode of the podcast, we're going to define Christian nationalism and talk about why we must reject it. Hey, Rick. So we're going to tackle a topic today that is one that you've been wanting to discuss for a little while, Mm -hmm. and you've got a a lot behind your thoughts and and your reasons for wanting to tackle this today, Mm -hmm. the topic of Christian nationalism. I think it would be helpful right off the bat for you to define that term and what it is that you mean when we're talking about Christian nationalism. Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's jump into the deep end of the pool. And I want to acknowledge at the outset that it is a difficult thing to define Christian nationalism. Mm. You're not going to get... Christian nationalists to affirm a definition. You're going to get a lot of those who are critical of Christian nationalism mm. to to try and define it, trying to describe it, and then and then respond to it. It's just amorphous. It's very very difficult. Uh, it's very very difficult to define. I'm reminded of I can't remember which Supreme Court justice it, it was who who basically said talking about pornography. It's difficult to define, but I know it when I see it. Mm-hmm. Christian nationalism is one of those things that you know it when you see it. Now. I'm willing to try and offer up a kind of definition, and this comes from a guy named Matthew McCullough. He said that Christian uh, nationalism is an understanding of America's identity and significance held by Christians, wherein the nation is a central actor in the world historical purposes of the Christian God. Now, I want to tweak that a little bit because Christian nationalism is not unique to the United States. So I would say, let's tweak it just a tiny bit, Christian nationalism is an understanding of a nation's identity, of any nation's identity, and that nation's significance held by Christians or people who broadly fall under the label of Christian, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, wherein that nation is viewed as a central actor in world historical purposes for the Christian God. Mm-hmm. Now, that that probably sounds a bit academic and maybe a little bit too obtuse to really uh, grab a hold of, what are we talking about? That God has a special relationship with our nation, that uh, our nation is his and exists to serve uh, his purpose in a unique way. And the way to bring about his purposes is primarily through government um, and government actions militarily, economically, and culturally. And secondarily, if even secondarily, the church plays a role. Mm -hmm. But it's primarily viewing that government, military, economics, cultural expressions of the government um, and forces of the government is God's primary way of bringing about his purposes in a particular nation and around the world. And what we see here in our own nation is a belief that we are a Christian nation, which should just pause and say, well, what does that mean? And then secondarily, because we're a Christian nation, that we, our nation serves a, has a unique kind of relationship with God and is serving a unique purpose for God. So we got to elect the right people and we've got to enact the right laws in order to bring about what God is trying to accomplish here within the uh, national confines of the United States and, and around the world. And what I'm saying is that is highly problematic and it's leading to all kinds of 
harmful behavior. Well, explain that a little bit more, because at the outset, the idea of of our nation being a Christian nation mm-hmm. sounds like a really good thing. It does sound like a good thing. And so what I would just say is, it, without a doubt, I don't know, I don't know if you're going to be able to find historians anywhere who wouldn't say that we are massively influenced by Christianity. We're massively influenced in our founding uh, by by the Bible, we're massively influenced by Judeo-Christian ethics. Some of our founding fathers were seriously, deeply devoted men of faith who are followers of Jesus, and you can see that in them. Other men were not religious at all, uh, were not followers of Jesus at all, were not, were not Christian at all. They were, they were all over the spectrum. There are some that would best be described as deists. If they were alive today, they would probably be atheists or some version of uh, did I say atheist? I meant to say agnostic. There would be agnostic or some version of, of atheist. It's not It's not accurate to say that all of our founding fathers were men of faith and men of God and followers of Jesus. But our founding is massively influenced, not exclusively by Christianity, but massively influenced by Christianity. We should acknowledge that. You see, you see that in, in, in their writings. You see that in some of our founding texts, like the Constitution. What you don't see is writing about Jesus mm. and what it means to follow Jesus. Mm. God is used, but Jesus is not employed. And our nation is not um, built on an establishment of any particular religion or any particular denomination. And people might say, yeah, but back then, probably the only one they were really thinking about was Christianity. Mm-hmm. They were aware of Islam, they were aware of Judaism, and they were aware of Christianity. And probably most people were had Christianity in their mind when they thought about when they thought about religion at that time uh, in our nation's history. But our nation d- did not establish any particular religion or any particular expression of any of of any religion. That's important. That's important to acknowledge. It is, but it might be upsetting to some. I saw a recent poll that was saying three out of four people do identify or believe that America was founded as a Christian nation, and and particularly those of us who might have been educated in Christian schools or. And, and I get that, and and that. That belief really emerged strongly in the late 70s, I think primarily as a reaction uh, to things that were happening in in the 60s, in the early part of the 70s, and as we were building up to the bicentennial celebration of the United States. If you think about kind of the moral revolution that was happening in the 60s, uh, the legalization of abortion in the early 70s, uh, and the emergence of what um, many in the evangelical world saw as kind of the next iteration of a culture war with the emerging kind of gay agenda that really started to to take root um, in in the late seventies, and that that's a whole other that's a whole other conversation in which um, there were a lot of evangelical leaders who I think misstepped um, in, 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 in in some of those interactions culturally. That it's who are we? What are we going to hold on to? What makes us safe? What makes us secure? what makes us significant. And how you answer those questions determine whether or not you were a follower of Jesus or mm-hmm. whether or not you have idols. And anything that we turn to other than Jesus to answer the, answer the questions of safety, security, and significant, that is an idol. And mm. Christian nationalism is a kind of idol. Mm. Even though even though the Christian is in it and a desire to follow Jesus is in it, it is an 
It's an idolatry of legalism, and it's not very different than what you see in the nation of Israel uh, during the time of the Gospels. One of the reasons that the Pharisees emerged to power is because they believed that if they could impose control and get enough people to follow uh, to follow God, that God would bless their nation and kick out the Romans, and they would return to prominence. Mm-hmm. Now, understandably, God had a unique relationship with Israel. They were his elect people. That was the one nation that he chose to make himself known through and to be the primary uh, carriers of his purposes uh, throughout the world. People were supposed to come to Israel and to the temple to discover God. Israel was a nation of priests and missionaries who were supposed to go out. They failed typically on both counts, Mm -hmm. right? So totally understandable how the Pharisees got there. God did not establish the United States as a second Israel. Mm. He does not have a unique relationship with us over Canada, even though they get their bacon terribly wrong. (laughs) He doesn't have a unique relationship with us over England or Iceland or Ghana or India or Japan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it would be inappropriate to ascribe Mm -hmm. verses of how God relates to Israel to the United States. Absolutely. And probably what's at the root, it's at the root of Christian nationalism. If we can get enough control, i.e. political power, we can legislate our way and impose Christian ideals on the nation in a way that God will bless us. And I want to say we're not very different from the Pharisees Mm. when we do that. It's just a different expression of legalism, and it is not good it's not good. Mm-hmm. And so the, the idea of a Christian nation sounds good. I get it. I get the appeal. I grew up in this. I wholeheartedly believed in this. But what I began to, what, what I began to do is I began to study God's word and as I began to study American history, well, well, where was it ever declared and established that we are a Christian nation? Mm. There were Christian nations throughout history. Um, one that comes to mind is, is Denmark, uh, uh, King... Um, Harald the Bluetooth uh, declared Denmark to be a Christian nation. And if you're curious, does he have anything to do with the Bluetooth technology? It's yeah. actually, it was it's developed, right? it it's deve- <laughs> was developed in Denmark and uh, it was named after Harald the Bluetooth and the symbol for, that you see on your phone, uh, the Bluetooth symbol is the symbol for Harald the Bluetooth. Isn't that fascinating? You just threw that one in there for free for us today. It's free for fun. We're nerding out a little bit. So, that would just be one example of a nation that was declared a Christian nation. That sort of thing never happened in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, what if someone were to say, "Okay, it, it doesn't have to be declared, but well, but we're we are a Christian nation, right?" Well, how many people would? What percentage of the nation would have to be uh, followers of Jesus for us to be a Christian nation? And who makes up that percentage? Mm. And, and if that's what it is, then there would be times, there would be seasons, there would be moments in our history where we are, where we have an X percentage who are followers of Jesus, and maybe that's higher at some points and, and lower at other points, but it's never an official declaration of our nation. It's not a part of our national identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trying to impose an allegiance to Jesus through national identity, it is just highly problematic. Mm-hmm. It's, high, it's, it's highly problematic. Other issues that relate to this is it, begin, it begins to draw distinctions of who is a good American, who's a bad American, who's a true American, and who's not a true American. That is not defined mm. by our allegiance to Jesus. Would you do something for me now? Yeah. And put on your pastor hat. Yeah. 
And you had said during the Sacred Series that this issue of Christian nationalism along with the prosperity gospel mm-hmm. are two of the things that in our contemporary world are most threatening yeah. to the gospel and to unity of believers and to us in our allegiance to Jesus Christ. With your pastor hat on, what is your heart for wanting people who are followers of Jesus to understand this? What what? What about this just kind of drives you wanting to address this topic? How do you see this hurting people in our church and across our country? In no particular order. Number one, it's incredibly divisive. First thing I'm going to mention, and this may not be the most important thing, but it is absolutely divisive. And one of the reasons is people who are in one political party or affiliation view believers who are in a different political party or affiliation as less than Mm. or as wrong or as sinful as unfaithful. We cannot tolerate that. We just can't tolerate that. There's no room for that. We are united by the non-negotiables of the faith. Mm. We're united by those things that we've been talking about over the past few weeks that are beautifully summarized in the Nicene Creed. Politics are not a part of that. Now, our faith should inform our politics. Our faith should inform how we engage, and we absolutely should engage and, part- and, and participate. But number one, it creates nasty divisions mm-hmm. and, and nasty fights. I, I don't think Jesus is okay with that. I don't think we should be okay with that. I think we should have a holy discontent for that. We should not be comfortable with that sort of thing because it is intolerable. Number two, it disentangles us from trust in Jesus's sovereignty and his power and his authority. And it fuels a lust for and an infatuation with political power. Mm. That, that, that does not bode, that does not bode well for us. Um, it is the, I think there, there's a crude example. Somebody, somebody once used the example of it's like mixing a manure and ice cream doesn't do anything <laughs> to the manure, but it definitely changes the ice cream, <laughs> right? You know, um, I'm not saying that politics are bad, and I certainly don't want to imply that all politicians are bad or evil or anything, anything like that. But the church is distinct from the political process. Uh, the church is is distinct from political ent- entities. Uh, that God uses rulers to serve a particular purpose that he doesn't use the church to serve. Let's don't blend those two things. Mm -hmm. And let's don't compromise the unique role that we get to play. Let's don't compromise that for politics. Let's don't compromise that for for government. Mm. Uh, Now, government is important. And be involved. Go be on the school board. Go be a state representative. Go be a congressman. Go be the president if you can. Be engaged and be be a God honoring Jesus like uh, citizen as you engage and do your very best, but don't view that as the means or the primary means by which God is going to bring His purposes to bear in our nation and around the world. Mm. So let me just pause there. How are, how are we doing so far? Yeah, I think those are very helpful points. Divisiveness. Yeah. Um, is certainly something that uh, that feels like it's more prevalent now than ever before around our nation. Let me let me let me give you a couple of examples that I find incredibly problematic, incredibly problematic. Probably the one that that stands out to me the most is a prominent uh, prominent evangelical uh, leader talked about um, stewarding the vote, the discipleship of the vote, 
treasuring the vote and that if we vote the wrong way, we are being unfaithful. Mm-hmm. And this has gotten a lot of attention lately. And, and if you watch the whole thing, which I did, it is clearly you have to vote Republican. And if you don't vote Republican, you're being unfaithful. Now, I'm not going to disparage anybody for voting voting Republican. I'm not going to disparage anybody for not voting Republican. However you vote, vote in a way that you think is best for people, most honoring to Jesus and best for people. Vote your values, vote your conscience, do what you think is best. But when you stand up and say, if you don't vote for this one political, for one political party, you're being unfaithful. At the very best, you're being naive. Mm-hmm. At the worst, you're being manipulative. Mm. And I think this is manipulative. And one of the things that I think that it does not do is acknowledge a kind of immoral math that we all have to engage in. What do you mean by that? So I, I don't want to I don't want to disparage anyone who served in, in the military. I, I think that you can be a God honoring, Jesus loving, faithful follower of Jesus and serve in the military. And I want to express my my gratitude for those who do that. I'd be proud to have my son or daughter uh, serve in the military. Um, I think that that would be that would be great. When you don't support a war, and you and you have to get honest about the impact of a war that you don't support and what that would have, what that would do to another nation and the people who live in that nation and generations to come. How do you weigh that out versus an issue like an abortion? Mm-hmm. And how many how many kids? Are aborted and how many how many individuals and how many families how many homes are impacted by abortion? How do you weigh out which one is worse? And I'm saying trying to weigh out which one is worse is an immoral kind of math. They're both evil. They're both heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. They're both devastating. And so, as you weigh out the things that the Republican Party tries to emphasize, the things that the Democratic Party tries to emphasize, the things that other lesser-known parties uh, try to emphasize, what you're going to find out is that Christians have a meaningful response and should have a Jesus-like attitude and and understanding of all the issues that different parties uh, try to emphasize, that we're never going to be at home fully in one. In every party, we're going to find areas of agreement. In every party, we're going to find things that should break our hearts. Mm -hmm. And to say you can only be a part of one is, oh my goodness, at best naive and at worst manipulative. Mm -hmm. And it just does not acknowledge the deep kind of wrestling that every believer has to engage in. And it does smack of racism because the vast majority of uh, African-American followers of Jesus don't align with what this prominent evangelical leader said. How can we just dismiss an entire race and say, well, you're unfaithful mm-hmm. in how you vote. Dismiss that race and dismiss their faith and how they're wrestling through that. Come on, that is unkind. Mm-hmm. That is, oh, I, do, I, don't know how we can, I don't know how we can get on board with that. So can you give us some handholds for how we can engage in politics, in approaching our vote, in mm-hmm. uh, in wanting to be patriotic members of our country, of, uh, you know, hearkening back to your July 4th yeah. message about um, we want to be people that bless the USA through yes, God. Absolutely. Uh, so let's invest in our communities. Let's invest in our in our national community. I love that we have professional politicians, career politicians, uh, in in our congregation. We have people who work for the school board um, in in our congregation. And what I would say is go. 
if you're young, this is what I would say. I would say, get the best education you have, you, you can get, get the best experiences you can get and devote yourself uh, to serving our local, our statewide and our national community in, in politics. And as you go and engage, be wise, mm. be a curious person, be a loving person, be a unifying person, and just kind of live with this. Um, can I, I learned this from another pastor. We might disagree on what is best, but we can't disagree on what's best for people is truly best. Mm. Try to serve what is in the best interest of people. This is what love is. It is investing in and even sacrificing for what is in the best interest of others. And as you engage in politics, as you engage on the school board, as you engage in being in the military, as you engage in being law in, in law enforcement, as you engage in social services, as you engage in medicine, you engage in whatever you do, serve to the best of your ability and to the best of your understanding what is in the best interest of others. It's not about trying to force others to comply with what we believe is best. Mm -hmm. And we're absolutely going to disagree with others. There are things that I disagree um, with the Democratic Party's platform on. I'm like, oh, that is, that is going to bring harm. It's absolutely going to bring harm. And I cannot stand with that. There are things in the Republican Party's national platform that I cannot stand with, that that is going to bring harm. I can't stand with that. Now, it doesn't mean that sometimes I'm not going to vote for one party or the other. I'm an American. These are the options that I have. I got to... Mm -hmm. I, I, I got I to gotta do my best, but I'm not going to give my allegiance to either one of those things. Mm -hmm. But whenever I can, when I'm voting or I'm engaging in issues in my community, I'm going to do my best to invest in the things that I am convinced are best for people. And I know that that sounds pretty abstract. And I know that people want to say, well, what would you do here? Or what would you do with that? Or who should we vote for here? I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to be the pastor who does that. I'm going to say, learn, be curious. Be as informed as you possibly can, and at the end of the day, however you engage, however you in, however you vote, love Jesus and love people, and do your best to express that in how you participate. So, we're a church that likes to move toward the messes, mm -hmm. and uh, and and I love that that we don't have topics that are off limits. Yeah, and uh, and for some people, politics is just one of those things that they won't talk about. But uh, you're giving us some points to address this in a way that is God honoring. Yeah. Could you give some advice to someone who finds themselves in a conversation and it's starting to go south, that they're feeling the tension rise of this, maybe they're seeing things in a different way, they're coming mm -hmm. at this from from two different ways of looking, and, uh, and, and the tension is building and tempers are flaring. What, uh, what could you uh, advise in that yeah. moment to help us engage in questions of politics and voting and and different issues to maintain unity? Well, first, let me just say this. Uh, to anyone who feels like their temperature is rising right now, I'm not saying don't love your country. I love this country. I love this country more than I love any other country because this is my country. This is this is my people. This is where I'm from. This is where I'm from. This is this is my culture. This is the country that I understand the best. This is this is where this is where I want to this is where I want to live. I want I want our nation to thrive. Saying no to Christian nationalism is not saying no to patriotism and it's not saying no to love of country. Absolutely love our country. If you want to serve in the military, serve in it guilt-free. If you want to serve in law enforcement, please do. We need you. If you want to engage in politics, please do. We need you. Love this country and love the people of this country. 
Absolutely. And so if you're feeling your temperature go up, just, just recognize we're not discounting love of country and engagement with country. What we're, what we're discounting is the belief that we have a special relationship with God as a nation and that we are the primary means by which he is bringing about his purposes both in our nation and around the world. And so it's up to us to make sure that we vote for the people that God has secretly selected and that we align ourselves um, with power so that we can bring his purposes to bear. That's what we're discounting. Um, so let me just kind of, let me, I just want to state that right off mm-hmm. the bat. Ask your question again, because I want to make sure, because it's a good one, and I want to make sure that I'm responding well. Just as we find ourselves in conversations where maybe we don't have the presence of mind to express things as eloquently as you just did, um, when when the temperature's rising mm. and the conversation's getting hot and, and divisiveness is threatening, uh, how how can we continue to discuss and engage uh, people in these conversations in a way that maintains unity, that maintains friendships, that uh, that shows the level of respect and Christ-like character that we want to exhibit over topics such as these? Well, when you're in a when you're in a conversation with someone that you have a relationship with, someone you care about, and you know they care about you, I think it's okay to to acknowledge, say, hey, we've got some strong feelings here. We're we're coming at this differently, and we we got some strong feelings. Can I just hit the hit the brakes? And and I just want to, I just want to reaffirm. I love you. I believe you love me. Um, you've given me some things to think about. Could we could we pause here for a while? Could we come back to it later? Uh, I think I think that's I think that's okay. Um, I know that I like the version of me better when I remember to say things like I feel my temperature going up. Um, I feel I feel like I could use a break mm. or say I who I I think I'm I'm at a moment where I need and I'll even put my like my hand over my head like an umbrella I, I need some I need some grace here um I'm feeling like I'm I'm kind of getting to the end of my ability to process and to be able to to express well could we could we pause here mm-hmm. um engaging in that however you might engage that 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 could be helpful I think it's helpful to say to say things like this huh um this is new to me you know, tell me a little bit more about what influenced your thinking on this. But it's also here's here's something that I use. If someone's saying things that I don't think is true, or someone's saying things and and I think that they're misunderstanding the source that they read, or I'm questioning the source that they that they got from. And this is not manipulative. I just mean it just kind of sincerely, and I mean this with kindness. Hey, where could I find out more about what you're talking about? Mm. Where could I go? Where could I go and read and find out more? I love asking that. Because one, it helps me understand that person. What is it that they're going to? What is it that's shaping their thinking? And then now I can now I can go and engage, and I can figure out. Uh, I can do my own personal study. Is this is this something uh, that is reputable? Is this is this credible? Um, is there something for me to learn here? Mm, thank you for those. Yeah. As we wrap up this conversation, I'd love you to put your pastor hat back on again. Okay. And uh, and it, what else is there that you would like to say mm-hmm. while you have this opportunity on a topic that uh, that has been troubling you for quite yeah. some time uh, that that you really feel like our congregation needs to hear? Yeah. Um, I think what our congregation needs to hear is that this is these are currents. This is a kind of movement, and it's not well-defined. And it's it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult to fully wrap up in a nice and tidy definition. But what I'd like to do is just describe some of the some of the some of the currents, some of the emotions, some of the things that are happening 
to help people better think about this. Um, Christian nationalism tends towards this kind of this kind of mindset. Um, I don't know that these are things that anybody is ever going to express overtly, although sometimes they will. But see where you're starting to feel and experience this. There's a shift in emphasis from the spread of Jesus's kingdom to an emphasis on a nation's advancement and that nation's dominance militarily, economically, and culturally. Instead of seeing the church as the primary vehicle to advance God's purposes, government becomes the primary vehicle. Instead of singularly emphasizing the gospel movement, the church becomes a key agent of the government's agenda. And the way that people talk about the government's agenda is they commingle it with God's purposes and and they use theological language. Sometimes a subtle shift in belief that God's intent is to establish Christian nations instead of disciples from all nations. Mm. I recently read something uh, from a pastor and author who quoted the Great Commission and said, there it is. It's Christian nationalism, that we're supposed to go and make disciples from all nations, i.e., we're Mm. supposed to go and make Christian nations. No, that is not what it says. <laughs> yeah. We're not we are not doing nation building. We are doing discipleship. We're doing evangelism. We're calling people from all nations, mm-hmm. from all cultures, from all peoples to trust and follow Jesus. And there's a loss of the understanding that we are pilgrims. We're exiles and our primary citizenship is in heaven. And as you engage this topic of Christian nationalism, as you're listening to, to people out there talk, see if you recognize any of those things. Um, and again, the heart of Christian nationalism, believe it or not, it's the same heart, it's the same root of things like the prosperity gospel. It's legalism. If we do the right things at the right time in the right way, we will get God to bless us. Hmm. The prosperity gospel emphasizes material wealth and health. Christian nationalism emphasizes God's blessing on us militarily, economically, and culturally. If we all will get together and do the right things, then God's going to bless us. The problem is we already are fully blessed in Christ, and it's about us trusting and following him and calling other people to trust and follow him not trying to create Christian nations, but followers of Jesus from every nation. Mm. Well said. Let's leave it there, because I can't think of a better way to wrap up this uh, this episode than focusing on what we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for walking us through a, a difficult topic, Rick, uh, with gentleness and, uh, and helpfulness, and uh, appreciate your time to, to focus on this. You bet. Thank you. Thank you.